Welcome to The Loop with Stan Guthrie. As an author and communicator, Stan offers a critical and often humorous look at the day's issues, all from a distinctly Christian perspective. From his home studio in Chicagoland, where it snows far too often for his tastes, Stan cheerfully takes on all comers in a culture that is losing its mind without losing his. And now, here is Stan Guthrie. Well, our old friend Andy Stanley is at it again. The son of the great Charles Stanley, he's also the pastor of North Point Community Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, has put his proverbial foot in his mouth again. You may recall about five years ago, a Reverend Stanley said that the Christians really need to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. It was almost sort of a hearkening back to Marcion, where the Old Testament was viewed with much suspicion, and we should really stick to the new. Well, now he has done it again. This time he's talking about gays and straights, and he simultaneously is able to clobber straights while showering all kinds of praise on homosexuals. Now, I don't mind praising homosexuals, but let's just say anyone of goodwill who's listening to him might be a little confused as to where he's ultimately going with this. Here's a quote. He says, a gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. Let me just give you about a two-minute clip and you can hear what he said for yourself. Figure out how to get straight people as excited about serving and engaging as the gay men and women I know, we would have a volunteer backlog. That's my experience in our churches. I'm a gay person, I'll just read it to you. A gay person, when I say gay men and women, okay, a gay person who still wants to attend church after the way the church has treated the gay community, I'm telling you, they have more faith than I do. They have more faith than a lot of you. A gay person who knows, you know what? I might not be accepted here, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Have you ever done that as a straight person? Where do you go that you're not sure you're gonna be accepted and you go over and over and over and over? Only your in-law's house. That's the only place you go where you know you're not completely accepted, but you go over and over and over and it's because you have to. But other than the in-laws, what environment do you continue to step foot in knowing at any moment you may feel ostracized? No place. I'm telling you, the gay men and women who grew up in church and the gay men and women who've come to faith in Christ as adults who want to participate in our church, oh my goodness. I know 1 Corinthians 6 and I know Leviticus and I know Romans 1. It's so interesting to talk about all that stuff. But just, oh my goodness, a gay man or woman who wants to worship their heavenly father who did not answer the cry of their heart when they were 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. God said no, and they still love God. We have some things to learn from a group of men and women who love Jesus that much and who wanna worship with us. 
and I know the verses. I know the clobber passages, right? We got to figure this out. And you know what? I think you are. Now, that's quite a statement, especially for a pastor to make. And you won't be surprised to hear that it, this clip blew up, as they say, all over Twitter. And a lot of us evangelicals have been talking about it. Before I be accused of simply pounding on Andy Stanley, let me start off with things that I agree with. One thing that I agree with is his evident heart to reach all people, not just straights, not just Republicans, not just Americans or whatever. He's, in this sense, like Jesus. He wants to reach the lost and the sinner. Uh, he recognizes that gay people, homosexuals, men and women want to know Jesus. They know that they're missing something in their lives, and he doesn't want to present a stumbling block for them getting the gospel. So I applaud that. However, now let's get on to some of the negatives. When he says that gays have more faith than straights, I first of all wonder what he means by faith. The Bible is very clear in the passages he mentioned and others that homosexuality is wrong and that it will damn you to hell. I'm sorry that he seems uncomfortable with that. It's not a fun truth to talk about, but the Bible's very clear. These are not clobber passages, as he says. They're truth passages. And so when he talks about the faith of gays being stronger than straights, the first thing to know is that if they know anything about the Bible, then they're not exercising faith if they are defiantly living in that lifestyle because by doing so, they're saying that the Bible is wrong and by extension, God is wrong. So that's not faith, that's unbelief. Here's something that I think we all need to keep in mind. Everyone struggles with something. Some people struggle with homosexuality. Some people may be tempted to adultery. Some people may be tempted to steal. Some people may be tempted to lie. Some people may struggle with anxiety and, and difficulty trusting God. There's all kinds of things. So I don't want to say that homosexuality is the unforgivable sin. It isn't, or that it's uniquely awful. In some ways, it's uniquely harmful to the individual, but no sin is beyond the reach of the grace of God, and that includes homosexuality. But if there are homosexuals who are not willing to change, who want to go into a church and try to change the morals of that church, who maybe live openly in flagrant violation of biblical standards, which are given for our flourishing, then that's a problem. Now, there may be people who struggle with homosexuality who want to get rid of it, who want to live either a straight or a celibate lifestyle, and the church should be welcoming to them too. So what do we do with these two classes of people, those who are hardened in the lifestyle and those who want to escape it? Well, I think we need to at least initially probably treat them about the same. Let them come in. Let them hear the gospel. Let them see Christian community in action, love in action. And then you know, as we develop relationships with them, then we earn the right to back up what we preach from the pulpit in what we say one-on-one -on -one with them. There's no need to embarrass anyone, to call someone out publicly. This can all be done quietly and kindly, but firmly. I was on uh, Kurt and Kate Mornings 
the other day talking about this. And one of the things that we all emphasize is that when Jesus came in John 1, he came with truth and grace. So, And we need to hold those things in balance or even in tension. And one should not predominate over the other. Although if I had to choose, I'd say truth. But we need to show both truth, uh, what God desires for our sexuality. It's for our good. It's for his glory. And we need to do it with grace. That is with love, with understanding that we're sinners too. We need to realize that we're all susceptible to something. That's where we need to go with this. But when Mr. Stanley says they show more faith than I do or that he does or that his congregants do, I guess I have to wonder what he's teaching his congregants. Are they as unloving as he seems to think they are? Are they as inflexible and hateful as he seems to think they are? If so, I think he needs to look to himself. And it's true that it does require a lot of courage to go into any situation in which you're not sure you're going to be accepted or loved. I mean, that's what Jesus did a lot. Not only did Jesus accept the unlovely and the sinners of his day, he went into difficult situations expecting to be beat up, at least verbally, and eventually he was crucified. So there's nothing wrong with being strong, being willing to face opposition to the extent that gays do that when they enter our churches, really wanting to see Jesus in spite of what they may fear our reaction will be, then that is good. And we need to encourage that. We want people to come to Jesus. If homosexual men and women want to come into our churches and they're open to hearing the word of God and conforming their lives to it, then that's maybe a form of faith. But the more biblical form of faith is the faith that leads to repentance. And however we may feel about our sexuality, God's word is pretty clear on what the standard is. Even if our feelings are different, we are called to conform our lives to God's word. And we can do that with the help of his spirit. So let's pray for that. And let's pray for our gay and straight neighbors that they would come to know the Savior. And let's also pray for Andy Stanley that he'll remain loving to all who come in his doors, but he will be much more careful in how he phrases things. around 30 years I've been in the publishing game in a variety of roles everything from author to writer to editor to collaborator to contributor to advocate I've got my name on more than 40 books in one way or another including seven books that are either authored or co-authored and so I've learned something through the decades about that and Every so often, someone will contact me either through email or social media and ask how they can be an author. What are the three easy steps to being an author? A few years ago, I got such a question from someone, and I reposted it this week. And It's just a very interesting topic, and if you're interested in being an author as opposed to merely being a writer, meaning you want to get published, you want your book published, then I hope you'll enjoy what I have to say. I got a little interesting pushback at the end from a published author 
who takes a little bit different perspective on it, and that's all good. So here we go. Advice to an aspiring author. A writer who aspires to be an author asked me for some advice, clearly frustrated by the barriers facing unknowns. She said, I've talked to various people, including an agent, and done some research, and it seems to me that the current advice for aspiring authors is either one, write a blog, become famous, and then we'll publish your work, maybe, or two, already be famous or someone in a high-profile job, like megachurch pastor, and then we'll publish your work, maybe. Not being famous or likely to be, I thought I'd ask you about your editing and or publishing coach services and whether you have time open right now. Here's my response. I'm not going to snow you. The advice you've received is pretty accurate, but there are always exceptions. Publishers are risk averse these days and are looking for people with solid platforms, meaning many people who know them and are eager to buy their books. Hence the emphasis on blogs and megachurch pastors. I have run into this problem myself, being an independent journalist. There are two ways to look at this. One, what is your platform? I understand you're not famous. Most of us aren't. But are you able to connect with readers and potential buyers of your book? Publishers will look at your church, organization, conferences, websites, social media, etc. to determine this. Are you credible on this topic and on the ability to sell the book? They want to know if they can sell enough copies to make the risk of investing in you and your book worthwhile. It is very much a bottom line business with little wishful thinking allowed. That's why you'll see a lot of questionable books and authors get published, because they sell. You'd like to think Christian publishers would have higher standards, but many don't, at least some of the time. Number two, what is the book? Is it something new or a fresh take on a perennial issue? Can you demonstrate this? Is it worthwhile, professional, compelling, comprehensive, clear? In short, does it sing? Regarding the platform, as yours is weak, you might consider demonstrating to publishers that you can sell the book anyway. To do this, you'd need to consider self-publishing first and then trying to sell it through your channels, including but not limited to book parties. The thing all writers have to think about is whether they write only to get published or whether they write because they have a purpose and a passion. Getting published is a worthy goal, but it can be a long and hard road with no guarantees. If you truly believe God has called you to write, you won't be able to not write, if you know what I mean. It will cost you a lot of sweat equity and money, and only you can decide if it's worth it. I write because I have gifts in that area, love influencing people, and can make money doing it, although I'm not getting rich. Few authors do. In one sense, I write because I can't not write. So I hope that gives you some things to think about. Thanks for contacting me. And then I got this response from Sarah Walton, a published author. I'll just let her comments speak for themselves. That's all so true. But to add, I am one of those exceptions where I had no platform, no proof it would sell, had no idea how the book process worked, but God had clearly given me a message to share, a message on suffering, which I wouldn't necessarily have chosen as the story I had to tell, I might add because it literally fell into an editor's lap through a Twitter combo and has gone on to sell tens of thousands. Not because I am something special, but because God paved the way when I actually didn't even feel worthy of getting published. My point is, if you're a Christian author, it's important to remember who you're writing for, 
the praise of man and the glory of God. Because if it's the first, it will suck the joy out of it and leave you constantly feeling hurt and let down. But if it's for the latter, you truly can write because you love it and trust the Lord to open the door if he chooses. Because a lack of platform certainly doesn't get in his way, even though that is still the reality for the majority of the time. So I share that as an encouragement to fellow Christian writers to not put their hope in publishing as your primary objective, but ask the Lord to bring the message he's given you to those he chooses, whether that be a blog, a book, or a conversation on the couch with a friend indeed. So that's Sarah Walton, and I thank you very much, Sarah. Appreciate your faith, appreciate your hard work, and I appreciate what you're doing for the kingdom. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on The Loop with Stan Guthrie.